Retro nonsense in the house, y'all! Autobots, transform and roll out! No. I am your father. No! No, Joe! He'll fight for freedom wherever there's trouble. G.I. Joe is there! G.I. Hello and welcome to the Retro Nonsense Podcast. I'm Duke, and with me as always is my good friend Chris Roberts. And this month we are continuing our quintessential 80s movies picks. Uh, last month we did Action Adventure. Uh, go check that episode out if you haven't. It was really fun. We talked about um, Raiders of the Lost Ark and RoboCop. So really fun discussions. Had a good time with that one. But this month we are doing the horror genre. So we are each going to pick our quintessential 80s horror movie and discuss. So before we get started, I guess a couple quick things. Um, be sure to head on over to our Discord server where we will further this discussion and also post our scores for the Beat the Bandy Challenge this month, which is the NES game by Jalico, uh, City Connection, which is a really fun game. I, I, I played it once and didn't get nearly as far as Bandy has already, so he's definitely in the lead as we speak. The pressure's on. But um, <laughs> The pressure is on. So, but this is right up my alley. It's it's definitely my kind of game. It's a uh, platformer that has, you know, where you have to develop a strategy and memorize things. And I'm looking forward into diving into it and giving giving Matt a run for his money. So, uh, play along if you want, and we'll be posting our scores on our Discord server. So, now how did you say? I always said Jalico back in the day. Um, how did you say? I, I always Jalico? said Jalico because me too. Uh, yeah. There was a nerd video and he pronounced it Jalico, so I kind of just oh, copied okay. the nerd. But I've also heard people say Jalico, and frankly, I haven't dug enough into it to realize which one's the right one. So I, I think they both sound at, fine, really. And, <laughs> I was just know. curious. I, yeah. As a kid, I, I saw that and I said Jalico. And of course, the only game I had back in the day was the Basis Loaded game, which is fantastic. I love that game. But I think that's the only game that I knew of back then by Jalico or Jalico. But um, I think most people say Jalico. That's why I said that. I, I actually time, so. like Jalico better now that I, now that we said it a couple yeah, I'm, of times. I'm going to stick with Jalico. I, I want to go I'm team sticking Jalico. With it. Uh, I just think it sounds better. I mean, it might be incorrect. It's like uh, Ninja Gaiden and Ninja Gaiden. I always said Gaiden yeah. because so in English, that's how you would pronounce it with the A coming first yeah. in the double yeah. vowel. Uh, you would say A, so it'd be Gaiden. And yeah. I remember even seeing it on a commercial where he said Gaiden, but then I've also heard him say, you know, the, the whoever the announcer was, Gaiden. Um, right, right. So I, I don't know, man. It's whatever. It, it makes no difference to me. So we're going to yeah. be Team J uh, Jalico, and that's just the way it is. There you go. So anyway, you said you had something uh, you wanted to say or do <clears throat> yeah. as well before we get started. Well, it's it's in the it uh, it goes with movies. Recently, um, 
I, I was listening to this podcast and uh, they were going over uh, this thing called uh, the Mandela effect. You know, are you familiar with that? I believe that's when you remember something incorrectly. Right. And it, sort it, of? It, yeah, it kind of goes towards, uh, it, it, you're right. That's exactly what it is. Um, I guess the, you know, the gist of it is the reason it's called Mandela effect is uh, sometime, I believe it was in the early 90s, there was some people at like a conference or something and they were chatting uh, behind, in the back and uh, one of them had mentioned something about Nelson Mandela uh, in the present form and the other person was like, what are you talking about? He died in prison. So they had like this discussion on how one remembered seeing it on the news that he died in a prison and of course he didn't die in prison. So then there's other ones like uh, the Baron you know, like I remember it as being the Berenstein Bears, and I even remember the print saying that, but when you look at the book, it's Berenstein Bears. So without getting into all of the Mandela effect and all the different things, the different food products and things like that, I just wanted to go over some movie Mandela effect okay. examples and see uh, how you would do. I think probably the easiest one, matter of fact, I even knew about this one before I even heard about the concept of the Mandela effect would be the famous line in Empire Strikes Back between Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. Well, I'm now, well how do you remember this dialogue. It is, no, right. I am your father. But yes, I think a lot of people will say, Luke, I am your father, right? Correct. Right. I am your father. It, yeah, and I think that probably, and I honestly, I think all of these have to do with someone just repeating it wrong and probably mostly in like a pop culture situation like Saturday Night Live or a TV commercial or a television show, and then that became the way people repeated it. But yes, that is, that would be like a real famous example of the Mandela effect. Most people distinctly remember. Matter of fact, I even read somewhere where James Earl Jones, someone asked him to say the line, and he actually says, Luke, I'm your father. And they're like, well, actually, it's no, I'm your father. He goes, no, I know what I did. You know, like he argued with right, them. So right. I don't know how genuine that article was. I don't know if he was joking around or whatever. But so there's one example. So I'm going to go over a few, and I really think one's going to mess with you, hopefully anyways. So, okay. Um, <clears throat> okay, so you're familiar with the movie Jaws. Now, do you remember the scene where, you know, Brody's throwing the chum in the water? Yes. And uh, yeah. the shark, you know, shark pops up, and then he kind of backs away, and he turns to—is uh, it Quinn? Yeah, he turns to him, and, and he says a line. Do you, do you remember how that line is? We're going to need a bigger boat, right? And and that's how I remember it. But actually, he says, "You're going to need a bigger boat." Oh, okay. <laughs> right. Well, there you and go. A little, little thing, but I remember we're going to need a boat. It makes more sense we're going to need a bigger boat. They're all on the boat, right? Right, But right. he says yours. So there's one. There you um, go. Got that one wrong. Right. Um, how about the movie Field of Dreams? Do you remember that movie? I do. Okay, so what's the big slogan that they keep whispering to Kevin Costner's character? If you build it, they will come. Right. Right. That's how everybody remembers it. But it actually is, if you build it, he will come. Oh, really? <laughs> right. And if you actually think about the plot of the movie, spoiler alert, you know, it's all about bringing his dad back or something. Like, even though all those baseball players come, I guess the whole point was him to connect with his father again or something. But either way, it's he will come. Oh, so um, 0 for 2 then. 0 for 2. All right. Let's okay. go to another one. Uh, the scene in... Um, in Forrest Gump, where he's sitting on the bench and he turns to the lady and he says something about a quote that his mother said. What was that quote? 
Life is life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Right. But that's not what he says. He actually says <laughs> life was like a box of chocolates. Really? He's like, my mother always said life was like a box of chocolates. And then he finishes the line. And then you can even go even further in the movie. Like when his mother actually does say the line, she just says life's a box of chocolates. So they actually never say, they never say life is. They always mm-hmm, say mm-hmm. life. He says life was, and she says life's. Like, you know. Right. So, yeah. They never actually say it that okay. way. Okay. O for three. O for three. Um, okay. How about the movie Casablanca when um, Humphrey Bogart is, like, sitting around drinking uh, some drink? He's kind of bummed out about the girl leaving, and uh, he turns to the piano player, and he, and he says a line. Well, he didn't actually turn to him, but whatever. He says a line to the piano player. What does he say? I've never seen Casablanca, but I know the one famous line, Franklin, my darling, that one. No, 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 no. I, I Actually, isn't that from Gone with the Wind? Oh, oh yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. Right. Okay, well, that, that one doesn't matter. We'll just, we'll, we won't call you on that one, but um, I guess the line, uh, what most people remember it as, play it again, Sam. Okay, okay. But he actually just says, play it. Oh, so, really? You don't you don't lose a point for that one because you didn't know the movie. <laughs> All right, how about Silence of the Lambs? Right. Yes. Yes. Okay. The first time or any of the times he's meeting Clarice when Clarice comes down to the prison cell to see him. Uh-huh. What what? How does he greet her? Hello, Clarice. Yeah, he never says hello, Clarice. Really? In the entire movie, there's a point where I believe he says good morning, Clarice, or Agent Starling, or something like that. But he never says hello, Clarice. You know what I think that might be from then, um, or why people may say that. Doesn't um, Jim Carrey do that bit in Cable Guy? Yeah, where he puts I mean, the bacon it, I, on his face it, and he says hello, Clarice. Right. I see, and that's where I, that's kind of my argument towards most of these Mandela effects. It's usually yeah. just they got repeated wrong, and that yeah. became the way people repeated it. All right, so now I think because I've I, seen I've seen Cable Guy way more than I've seen Silence of the Lambs, so <laughs> to- totally makes sense. Plus, if right. anybody's going to repeat it, that's how they repeat it. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, there's even like an episode of um, The Office where Dwight cuts this doll and he sticks the mask on his face, and I believe he turns around and says, "Hello, Clarice." Okay, yeah. I just it's just one of those things where it always gets repeated wrong. That's all funny. right. This this one. Now, me and you, we're both big Lord of the Rings fans, right? Oh, yeah. Would, oh, yeah. You, you, you went and saw it in the theaters, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I did, too. All right. <clears throat> it's in uh, The Fellowship, right? That's the first Okay, I'm going to make a prediction. I won't get this one wrong because I've seen those movies so many times. I can't imagine I'll get this wrong. I don't know what it is, but go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I'm pulling for you because I got it wrong. Okay. All right. And I thought I knew. And I've seen that movie so many times, too. Okay. okay. So... You know when they're all running, they're down in the like the catacombs or the tombs or the tunnels or whatever. They're yeah. they're underground and they're running and then that bridge gets broke and Gandalf's like hanging and he's about to fall and he looks to the fellowship and he says something. What does he say? He says, "Fly, you fools!" Right. I I swear, man. Yeah, you. That's good for you because I always remember it as "run, you fools." Oh no. <laughs> I'm glad you got that one right, cause man, I was I was going through some of these, and I was like, how? What? All right, I thought for sure <laughs> you, I was gonna wreck your day on that one, but I'm glad you got that one right, man. 
right. How about C-3PO? Describe him in Star Wars. Just, just, just describe him. Describe him? Yeah, just, I mean, how does he look? What's his color? Well, how, you know, just describe he's, uh, him. He's a golden robot with yellow eyes and a slit for a mouth. Yeah? Uh, need, need I go on? No, that's that's an accurate description. <laughs> except half of one of his legs are silver. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yes. In, in in a new hope, right? Right. Like it, then, I, in, it, I don't know if he gets repaired at the end of New Hope, and then from that point forward, yeah. he's all gold. Which that might be true. I, I'm not really sure. I haven't done a lot to figure this out beyond that. But when you watch it, and I, that's a really cool touch, though, because it really makes everything look so used. Like, even this robot is damaged and been repaired with spare yeah. parts and everything. So, it, I really like that aspect of it. But, man, it blows people's minds because they'll fight you on it. And you're like, no. No, so his, I, I knew that for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I knew that. But I think you're right. I think at the end scene where he's all shiny in the award ceremony yeah i I think he's fixed at that point but i'm gonna have to double check on the on the dvd or on disney plus or whatever yeah but i i like to actually check on the oldest like the vhs because then it's like the least altered one you know maybe maybe lucas fixed it maybe he digitized or maybe that's how he wanted it and someone else uh, who knows but um all right a couple more and then we'll be done okay you know, in Risky Business, you know that movie with Tom Cruise? Yes. When he comes and he, like, slides out, you know, the big yes. famous scene when he, yes. I think he's yes. singing old-time rock and roll or something like that? Yeah. All right, describe how he's dressed. He has a button-down shirt on, mm-hmm. tighty-whitey underwear, and okay. a, and socks. Is that it? Sunglasses? Well, I see most people think he's wearing sunglasses, but he's not. Oh. And yeah. that, that, and you, you know, you didn't go right to the sunglasses, but a lot of times, anytime I've asked this to people since I've been kind of looking at that one, usually that's always one of the things said. Plus, a lot of people say he's wearing a white shirt, and that's how I remember it, but it's not quite white either, though. It's like, mm. uh, I don't know if it's like peach or pink or mm. something, but it's not quite white. But again, I think that's just kind of how people have mocked it or reenacted it you know what i mean yeah like in a skit of course they would wear the sunglasses because the movie was known for him wearing the sunglasses so i think it's been mimicked with sunglasses on but in the actual movie he's not wearing them all right and then the last one now you're a did you like the original star trek like the original series original movies yeah yeah okay so whenever captain kirk uh wants to be transported back up to the Enterprise, not every time, but what's the big line that he would say to Scotty? Beam me up, Scotty. Yeah, he never says that. <laughs> really? Never. Not even one time. Not what? even any of the movie. I mean, never. He never says the phrase, beam me up, Scotty. Seriously? Yeah, never. What does he say? Like, he'd just be like, Scotty, ready for transport, or... I, I, he never says beam me up, that Scotty. That is so funny. I would have swore he said it every episode. <laughs> I, I remember it being on bumper stickers. Uh, my dad, when he would go to like the auto parts store, there used to be like this section that had like all these bumper stickers and crazy t-shirts with sayings on it, you know? And there yeah. was two that stuck out to me a lot. One was beam me up, Scotty. And another one was if you don't like the way I drive, stay off the sidewalk. I used to think those were just the funniest thing. And right. uh, yeah, the beam me up, Scotty, right? So yeah. That's anyway, so funny. Uh, 
There's, a, there's a, you know, a few others, but I felt like these are the ones that we had to cover. Well, those are good because I, I didn't do too well. I had well, you did one wrong. for a lot wrong, so. Right. <laughs> well, you kind of you kind of did okay on the sunglasses. I'll actually give you that one because you really didn't go to the sunglasses. Uh, I kind of talked you into that one, but <laughs> the rest, yeah. you didn't do too well, buddy. No. That's cool. But, yeah, but that, good that's job with the Gandalf, man. Good job. Oh with yeah, that thank one. you. Yeah, proud yeah. of that one. <laughs> yeah, I was too. Because I, I swear, even when I think of it now, I hear him say "Run, you fools!" Even though I've watched it, like I've went back and rewatched it, and he specifically says "fly," and it really doesn't even make any sense other than the fact that maybe he is foreseeing the fact that they do fly on the Eagles at some point. But no, I think by "fly" he means he run. just run like, so get fast. Out, yeah, just get yeah, out of here. It's just a fly strange away, line, like, man. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that's from the book, like exact dialogue from the book or not. Yeah, I, I did don't read, know either. I did read Fellowship of the Ring before, but I don't remember that exact dialogue. So, but I always took it as he just meant not get out of here, right? Like not get literally out of here fly. Yeah, take off, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean it makes sense. It just it's just weird. Yeah. But well, cool. That was fun. Right on. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> Thank you for doing that. All right, I guess we'll dive into our main topic here. Um. So, without further ado, for my quintessential 80s horror movie, I picked none other than John Carpenter's The Thing. I think most people that know me, it's no surprise that this is my, this will be my pick. Because, well, I wrote a little thing about it. I will read this thing that I wrote here right now. John Carpenter's 1982 masterpiece about a research team in the Antarctic who discover an alien that assumes the shape of its victims. Stranded, isolated, and cut off from any help due to the harsh weather, the team is forced to fend for themselves in their attempt to discover and destroy the thing. John Carpenter's masterful pacing, rich characters, and eerie synthesized score, coupled with the most horrific and creative monster effects ever seen to date by by Rob Bottin, makes this jaw-dropping, seat-squirming, mind-blowing classic my quintessential 80s horror movie. So, Chris, did you see this movie as a child? I sort of did. I remember seeing it. I might have been, let's say, about 11, 12, something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I caught it in the middle of the movie, and it was something that was like on regular television. And I knew I really liked it, and I didn't want to continue it because I, right. like, I didn't like seeing it in the edited form. So I stopped watching it and I didn't get back to it for a few years, but I love, I love the movie, man. Like it, it is, it's such a great movie. The characters are so good. And, uh, the fact that it's kind of even referred to as kind of a remake is insulting. You know what I mean? Cause (laughs) it's, if anything, the other movie should just be put out of print. It's not, I mean, it's okay for what it is, but, uh, this is the movie, you know what I mean? I agree. Yeah, I, I did see this sort of like you say, it, sort of as a kid. I did catch it on network television late at night, and it's one of those memories that uh, is seared into my into my mind because it scared the heck out of me. Um, I remember especially the dog kennel scene that just terrified me to death. Yeah. And I think I did continue to watch it, probably you know peeking behind from underneath my blanket or something or whatever but this movie um frightened me quite a bit um i was probably 
Let's see, this came out in, oh, here we go with dates again, uh, 82. I said it in my little opening there. <laughs> so it probably was on television a few years later. So I was probably 9 or 10 years old when I saw this for the first time. Um, and it really terrified me. It was, it was gross, it was horrific, it was eerie, it was scary. And of course a movie like this wouldn't, wouldn't be playing early. It would have came on late at night. Because um, they didn't air movies like this, um, you know, during prime time hour, hours, like 8 o'clock or so. You'd have to wait till like 9 or 10 to see something like this on TV. So, yeah, it was probably late at night, and I was young. I was probably all by myself in my basement or something, and I couldn't stop watching it, but it really, really terrified me. Um, so that was my first exposure to the movie. And then later in life, I revisited it, and grew to appreciate this movie on so many levels and I just think that I, I, I know I use that term I guess masterpiece maybe too often when it comes to some of my favorite films but I really do think this is a horror masterpiece um, I don't know what else you could do to make it better um, I think John Carpenter <laughs> was that your speaking spell? No I'm sorry <laughs> I have this uh, it's called a Vox Clock and it's uh it, it I I've been meaning to turn it off for podcasts. I'm sorry, buddy. That's it's okay. Said, okay. It said the That's time. Funny. My bad. I didn't. It sounded like an '80s like speaking spell or something, which well, I just picked up the other day. By I, the way, if you, I'll just do it real quick so everybody can hear a little closer. But um, it's 5 p.m. That's, <laughs> That's cool, what you yeah. heard. Yeah, it's it's pretty neat. Um, I like that. Yeah. Anyways, I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> sorry there. No problem. But anyway, uh, the thing um, I, I think it's I can I'm comfortable saying it's without a doubt my favorite horror movie. Um, maybe one of my favorite. Well, definitely one of my favorite movies of all time. Maybe in my top five. I adore this movie. Um, it never gets old to me. Um, now, why this movie I think is so masterful is I guess what I'd say what stands out most. Well, there's a lot of things that stand out, really. But the pacing and the tone and the tension are so well done in this movie. You you don't know who's who. You don't know. You can get a sense from the actors and the, the characters. They are terrified. They're isolated. The setting is a big part of this movie. They're all isolated. Um, yeah, well, this... it's, a, it's a character as well. I mean, if you yeah, think exactly, about it. Yeah. Right. And just the, the you know, you, you have that setting and you have this snowstorm. They're cut off from everybody with communication. And you have this alien that is mimicking uh, their, you know, their friends. And they don't know, they don't know who's who. And it's so well done um, that as an audience, you don't know who's who. And you don't know who to trust. And so that, that right there, that whole that whole tension building and all that drama that plays out in that is is just perfect to me you, it couldn't have been done any better and on top of that you've got these creature effects and uh the, the score as i mentioned that just fits so well with this film it just it just gives you this whole kind of big picture of of just doom and dread and fear that i i just think is unmatched and well and, and and just so anyone's listening knows, we're gonna talk spoilers here. So oh, I mean, if, if you haven't seen the thing, go watch it and then come back. But uh, what I mean, and I just love even the simple things like 
the introduction of the thing. Like, the way the thing got to them was through a dog. And who isn't welcoming to a friendly dog, right? You know, yeah. like, it's being chased. People are trying to shoot it. It's confusing. They don't know what's really going on. This dog comes there. Uh, they have no idea why these people are chasing this dog. And it just seems like a friendly dog. And it infiltrates them. And um, and it's just, a, it's just such a clever way to do that. It's not like, you know some scary space monster some weird you know like they were messing with an artifact or some egg or something like it, yeah. it was just something that anybody would do you know a friendly yeah. dog yeah. comes up to you you would welcome them in especially in that kind of environment exactly yeah so they take something that's supposed to be that every you know man's best friend essentially right. and it starts out with that and that's that's how the movie kind of kind of starts is you are betrayed <laughs> essentially as an audience member in thinking that this sweet pretty beautiful dog is is actually a monster right and uh yeah well and, and even the way it originally spreads you don't know like the, the first person i mean if you break down the film i i think it's kind of obvious well i don't even know if it's obvious but i think you can guess who that first person who got infected by it because like the dog yeah. walks into a room and all you see is yeah, a yeah. like a silhouette of someone yep. sitting there. Yep. Well, you could tell by their hair. You can eliminate a few people who it isn't. You know yeah. what I mean? But there also is a few people it could be, and uh, and then you don't even know anything's happening. You just know that this dog's going into the room. So if you went in cold to this movie, you would have no idea what's happening at this moment. Right. right. You know what I mean? And it's such a great reveal whenever they finally see the dog because they they also have dogs. And that dog's mm -hmm. put into the kennel with the other yep. dogs. Yep. And then all of a sudden, that dog is trying to, you know, mimic the other dogs. And yeah. that all this noise, you know, the dogs are barking, things are going on. So they go in there and they see it mid-transformation. And it's a, it's a great reveal. You know what I mean? Oh, my gosh. It's mind-blowing. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. And, yeah, that and dog kennel scene, it, as I said, it, it stuck with me. Uh, as a kid, it, it terrified me. That that was that is the first gore scene of the first monster scene that you see. Yeah, and it is it is unbelievable. A, a little side note is that that scene that sequence was actually done by Stan Winston. Um, he's that's the only scene that he did. Um, but he took over, uh, or not took over, but he helped out Rob Bottin because he was so overwhelmed. Rob Bottin was on that set working seven days a week for an entire year. He said he didn't miss a single day. And he ended up having to go to the hospital because he was exhausted. So he was just overworked with the, I guess, the time restraints and trying to get all this stuff done. And so that, that particular sequence was done by Stan Winston. That's awesome, man. Well, yeah. he, he killed it because, like, oh, it's, yeah. it's beautiful, man. It's a work of art, and it shows you, you know, how practical effects you know should still have a place on any movie set because those things hold up when you look at them it looks like you're looking at something real whereas you go back and look at some of those early 2000s cgi movies oh yeah yeah and they look horrible compare. man they yep. look terrible i mean it doesn't mean the movie can't still be enjoyed but it's when you compare it's like oh my god like and to know what they what they went through to get these shots uh, i just the reason i know all this these little details I just instead of watching this for the 50th time for the podcast I decided to watch the making of it yeah which is that's fantastic I, I love it yeah it's like an hour and a half long it's chock full of great interviews and 
behind the scenes stuff. I, I just love that kind of stuff. Um, and it was really, really uh, well put together. But um, what they went through to get these shots, I mean, this, they had to get the lighting perfect, and they had some of these were one take only, and because they spent hours upon hours putting these props together and hoping the mechanical elements would work properly and help, hoping the actors did their part. And there were a couple, there were a couple scenes that they had to do more. They were one take scenes, but yet ended up having to do them twice because they screwed up so bad. Um, and that it was like a whole day lost. So just, just what they went through and how well the scenes turned out is just, I think it's just a part of movie history that may never be repeated. I mean, this, everything just, and, and they gave Rob Bottin kind of like free for all, like do whatever you want. He came up with all these ideas of all these different monsters and how they were going to, you know, transform into this and transform into that. They, those were all his ideas for the most part. So he had like this free reign to do whatever he wanted. And this was just off the heels of him doing, um, American Werewolf in London, which everybody knows has like the most famous. Yeah, at the time that was werewolf right, that transformation, transformation scene, and yeah, yeah he he kind of got notoriety from that, and uh, you know, um, Carpenter had him do involved in this film, and he did like I said, pretty much all the effects except for that one, that one scene that um, Stan Winston did, but he he is a masterful artist. I mean, just just his his sculptures alone, outside of all the mechanical elements and how they made all this stuff move and come apart and and all that kind of stuff is just how it all came together and looked good was just kind of amazing and even um carpenter said in his interview that he was really afraid that this was going to be silly looking much like people said about yoda or i guess lucas was concerned about yoda if it looked like a puppet it just wasn't going to work it had it had to be believable and Carpenter was really adamant about not just having another movie with a guy in a rubber suit. And he even mentions Alien. And he says that how much he loves that movie, but still, in the end of the day, it's a guy in a rubber suit. And he was like, I don't want that. I want this to be something alien, something out of this world. And he, when he saw the first, I guess, finished shots of some of the effects that Rob Bottin put together, he was like, Phew, you know, this, this is working. This is awesome. You know, this is really... And I think... That's kind of the glue that holds this movie together is every every single one of those scenes is just a home run. You know, you just you don't know what to expect next. And they're so wacky and they're so out, you know, off the wall that you're just wondering what they're gonna do next. Um and my favorite scene, um, they're all great, but is the scene where the guy is on the medical table table and he's trying to shock him. Yeah. <laughs> and he his arms I and mean, this is crazy. So this is to me describe this. His arms plunge through his chest. The, his chest is like a mouth now, and it bites down on his arms. He pulls his arms. It rips his arms off. He's flailing all about. Next thing you know, and they're burning the room all, all during this this whole thing with torches. Then the guy on the table that just had his stomach turn into a mouth, his head starts to fall off the table and like separate from his body. It, it plops on the floor legs burst out of his head and the head starts crawling around <laughs> and it's got this tongue that lashes out and it's just the craziest thing but it all looks just amazing and it's completely chaotic and horrifying and the way the scene is edited and put together 
And the way it all plays out is just you could I could watch that scene every day. Well, and Kurt Russell never get sick of it. Well, Kurt Russell's reaction, uh, you know, the character R.J. McCready is yeah. just priceless. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. He's just like, you know what I mean? Like he's just staring at it, and then he just. It's like a, a two-second still shot, and then he just flames it. And it's just all those little nuances of how this is edited and paced and shot is just every scene is to, is to me is just perfect. Well, you know, and to me, I think you know, yes, the obviously the production and um, you know the the practical effects are really what hold you know is the main draw of the movie. But I think what really makes it sets it apart is the character. You know, like these guys, they're very smart men, like, and they they go through everything very logically. You know, like they, you know, at no time are they sitting there trying to quibble over little things. It's always like this, you know. Yes, they weren't sure who's what, you know, who could be taken over, but they accept it pretty quickly because the evidence in front of them. So then it's like, well, now how do we solve this? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. even even like in the scene where like McCready is holding them all off. Uh, and he's sitting there looking at him, and he's just like, um, he goes, "Well, I know you all aren't aren't a, or aren't it or aren't a thing or however he refers to them." He goes, "I know all of you aren't because if you were, you would just turn on me. So that means some of you are real, you know." So right. like he can use this, this this deduction to say, "Okay, look, obviously it hasn't infected everybody," and he's like, "I know I'm not infected, you know. I know right. I, I know who I am." So, and then you know they did the blood test, which was you know ingenious. Oh. That scene, um, yeah. That's probably my second favorite scene. Yeah, I love that scene. And especially just, you know, it has, like, legitimate tension. And even, like, the part where, you know, the guy is going to um, uh, the one character. Uh, I can't think of his name right now. But he's going to attack. I think his name was Clark, I think. Mm-hmm. And he's going to attack uh, McCready with a knife, with a scalpel. Mm-hmm. And he turns around and just shoots him in the head. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... <laughs> He shows that he's he's legitimate. He's got that gun, and he's just like you know, I will kill you. Like, and it's not that he's a murderer or you know he's not a killer. He just, hey, this guy, you know. So when they ended up testing his blood, um, Childs just look, and you know, and of course that uh, uh, Clark's blood was good, so he wasn't yeah. he yeah. wasn't a thing. And uh, then Childs just is like, and that makes you a murderer. You know what I right. mean? And it's just like it's just so quick. And, you know, you get to see this tension. And um, so they take all the evidence they got and they, they build it together to try to kind of figure out what's going on. They they had segregated um, Dr. Blair, uh, William, uh, what's his mm-hmm. name, William Brimley. Uh, they separated him because he was, you know, messing up all their electronics. So they assumed he must have been either he's a thing or... You know, as the viewer, you think you think two conclusions: either he's a thing, or he's doing it to make sure that nobody could leave there. He wants to; he doesn't want anybody else to come in, so he's going to destroy their communications. Right. And um, so it, it's a good reveal. I, you know, it's really I just I just really like the reveal. Every every bad guy, you know, every uh, you know eight, one who was infected, it felt like it was earned. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it was a surprise because you don't see it. And uh, I think that I think they did a really good job of building that tension because you don't know who a thing who the thing is, and even you know at the very end with the remaining characters, there's still debate on yeah. if one of them was a thing. You know what I mean? Yep, yep. But you're uh, very right. I mean the the tension. I mean talk about a tense scene. 
uh, the one you're talking about where they're all tied to the chairs and they're testing yeah. the blood. I mean, that is just that is a cinema classic there, the, the tension in that scene. Here you have all these guys tied to a chair, and they're, they're putting this hot, essentially this hot uh, piece of wire in a little cup of blood, and if it reacts then they know that it's not human blood. Yeah, they had figured out that the fact that any molecule, any part mm. of this alien will react. Yeah. So yeah. they have come to that conclusion. Like, no matter what, it, even down to the to a skin fiber or something. Exactly. But they, they're like, well, look, we'll just take everybody's blood. We'll put it in this in these little Petri dishes and uh, we'll burn it. So he, like, yeah. heats up, a, like, a coat hanger or something like that, and he sticks it into it to see if it would react. And as each of them are not reacting you can see even the people who know they must not be a thing are tense you know because it's such a tense situation you know plus they don't know how it works so they could be an infected they don't know you know what i mean so that's another great scene so then finally one of them reacts and this the a cup of blood shoots up this thing and then the guy in the chair starts shaking and convulsing and it's just it's just chaos ensues again and they're all tied to the chair they can't get up and there's torches going off, and yep. there's just people falling everywhere. And then, <laughs> I think this is the scene where the uh, it, it, the monster ends up biting. Well, yeah, um, the one guy windows. has a torch. Yeah, he has a torch, and he's just flinging it, him it, around it, the room. <laughs> it didn't didn't go off or whatever, so he he hooked to his head and to infect them. And yeah, it's it's so good, man. And it's you know that scene you could tell that he's flinging around a dummy. Well, yeah, but, but it's I still mean, it's it doesn't even matter. It's still no, it doesn't take away. Somehow, it still works. You know, it's just it's still it's just on that edge of silly, but not silly, but but crazy and horrible. And it just it doesn't take away from that scene at all. Well, frankly, make, at least you know there's something in the scene as opposed to you know guys fighting yeah. in the air. You know, not every <laughs> right, not all CGI is created equally. I mean, there's some right, that are right, just right. horrible. You know. Well, this this film is is definitely one that you could use as an argument to where, you know, practical effects are the way to go. I mean, yes, like you said, nowadays especially the the CGI effects you have to use them at this point. Filmmakers just have to because it's just the way the industry has gone, and they've gotten good enough to where sometimes you don't even know that it's CGI or it's a blend. They'll use practical and they'll clean it up with some CGI or add to it with some CGI, and that's fine. Whatever, it doesn't matter. It, it, but it's something to be appreciated for what what the talented artists and the actors had to go through uh, back in the day to pull these scenes off. It just makes you appreciate the hard work, essentially, and the time that went into it. And it's just well, a whole it, different it, kind of I film. I also think a lot of these practical effects just hold up so much better. They don't get as dated as quick. I mean, not all practical effects is created equally. I mean, some of them look horrible, but... Um, I think when it's when they have a good budget and they got good people working on it, I think you could mm-hmm. tell the difference between you know uh, a, a movie that has really good practical effects that holds up and something with you know what was cutting edge CGI at the time and how yeah. it doesn't hold up. I mean, case in point, did you see the the prequel, which <laughs> was horribly titled "The Thing" as well? I think it came out in like no, 2010. No, I did not see it. I heard it was awful. Um, I never saw it. Well, you know, I wouldn't say it's awful. I would say it's worth a watch. Uh, it shouldn't be called The Thing, because that's horrible. They, The movie ends basically where, you know, the good movie begins. So they try to connect it. 
Um, I just think it fails in so many ways because you kind of know how it's going to end before the movie even gets started. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, that's kind I didn't of the, realize that's it was kind a prequel. Yeah, it is a prequel. Um, I actually bought it by accident at the swap meet one time. Uh, I was going through the Blu-rays and I saw the thing and I was like, oh, good, I'll grab that because they were all like a, a dollar a piece. And I grabbed it and when I got it home, um, I was looking at it and I was like, oh, man, this isn't this isn't the thing and I, I was like oh it's a, I thought it was a remake and mm. then I started reading the cover and it actually you know on the back it says it's the it's the prequel and um, I thought I'd give it I went in there with no expectations and, and I would say uh, for the most part I like the movie I just don't think it's necessary it's just one mm. of those prequels that it's like it just doesn't matter you know what I mean yeah. like yeah I would have rather seen a sequel to be honest then it, at the very least, you don't know how the sequel would end. You know what I mean? Like, they might be mm -hmm. able to... You could come across the what's left. You might see, you know, who knows? You know, like, it's a, it's a more fresh palette to, to do as opposed to this prequel, which, I mean, it, it some of the things were kind of interesting because it's like, oh, that's how that happened. Oh, that's what that... It's like, but then again, it's like, it doesn't matter. It, it wasn't... It's, it's like learning about... Han Solo's name, you know what I mean? Like you didn't no. care, you didn't need to I'm know that. I'm assuming uh, John Carpenter was not involved at all. Uh, that would be a fair assumption because I see them mentioning his name on here, but I don't see him anywhere in the credits. I'm looking at the Blu-ray right yeah. now, and it mentions John Carpenter's thing. Huh? But maybe uh, he was just a, a producer or something, and to some degree. Nah, you know? I don't see him on here in any way. It just says it's the prequel to John Carpenter's oh, oh, okay. thing. I okay. think it's just. The movie, uh, the studio had the rights to say that without getting well, sued from John. Yeah, Carpenter. prequels were all the rage back then. Everything was they a prequel, were. so Pre it was just a prequels popular... and reboots was a big yeah. thing in the in the mid two thousands, and uh, the thing was in the prequel category. Like I said, I would have much preferred a sequel, but uh, it's yeah. you know I wouldn't go out of my way. But if you come across it, it's it's probably worth a watch. I'm sure I'll check it out someday because you know <clears> I have such a fondness for this film uh i guess at some point i'll visit the the prequel just to just to see what it's all about the other day i i did pick up uh the the thing from another planet what the you know the original i mm -hmm. guess if that's what you want to call it i haven't watched it yet but i am kind of uh i'm anticipating when i get to watch it or i mean i'm looking forward I, i've to seen it, it. You know I, mean? I saw that back when i was uh younger i've seen that a couple of times yes it's, it's you know it's kind of cool because it's an old old horror yeah. movie but it's it's not it's nothing special no and, you know no, it's interesting I, I, yeah, uh, I don't think it's gonna be on the same level carpenter was talking about in the in his interview that his his film you know carpenter's film is closer to the original i don't know if it was a short story or a yeah novella. I, i've heard that as well um so the the original movie actually went away from the original writing you know the original works so you you know you could to some degree well, say it, that the, it, it, the if I remember correctly, this one has like maybe a. It wasn't it during the time where all the horror movies kind of had a like a, a communist subtext to it or whatever. Everybody was a commie kind of thing. I don't remember, but possibly, okay, because because yeah. I know the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers had that subtext to it. The not the '77 version with Sutherland, <clears throat> but the '50 whatever. I forget the year it's in, but. It, it has uh, the guy and the girl on the cover running. Uh, let me see. Well, I got the sense, based on what Carpenter was saying, was that back when the original film was made, I guess in the was the 
the forties or fifties, I guess. I think it's the fifties. Um, it just they they didn't have the capability to do the, you know, to make a monster the way the the novella or the the short story described it, that it was mimicking people. So they just made like a you know standard Frankenstein type monster. Oh, okay. That just well, was a guy in makeup. So I just think well, it was I'm, probably. I'm, I'm looking at it and it looks kind of cool, but. I, I actually like the thought of what John Carpenter did, whether it's closer to the story or however that works, but the fact that it could look like anything, mm-hmm. I think, is what makes it scary. If it oh, was yeah. just some alien-looking creature, even though when it, when, it tur- when it shows its form, that's pretty awesome, but the fact that it could be anything, uh, yeah. is the, or at least any living creature or whatever, it, that's the scary aspect to it. And I guess I didn't really uh, realize it either, but the way... Rob Bottin was describing his ideas with some of the imagery and how it looked was that, you know, sometimes what had, what comes out was other things that it had mimicked throughout the universe. So, all those other unearthly looking creature parts, like the hands and some of the other parts, were other monsters or other creatures that it mimicked along the way at some point. Yeah, see, that's awesome, pretty cool. Man. Yeah, really cool. And you know what I love about that is the fact that it's not like that's something they even told you. It's yeah, just something exactly, that you, yeah. you learn. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it has, like, this character to it that you don't even realize this extra layer that, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to look into it, then it's a payoff. And if you don't, it doesn't diminish it. You know what I mean? That's really mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Well, I was just going to mention the score again. I know I mentioned it briefly, but that is also something that, even as a kid, kind of uh, scared me. Just that opening... Boom, 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 you know, just the way mm-hmm. it just it really, it's a very simple, you know, uh, score or, or whatever. Well, it's even like, it even like his Halloween score. It's, mm-hmm. yeah. That's yeah. what makes it so good. But it really just, it, it lends so much and adds so much to the tone and to the eeriness of the film that I really think you can't um, forget about that, that score. It just really, it, it opens up with that. It's almost just sounds more than a score, but it's it really um, does a lot, I think, to add to the fear factor for me. So I really, really think that's a big part of it too. Well, the you isolation hear that, you hear that opening score, and it's just like, oh yeah, that's this, we're in for a we're in for something weird here, you know? <laughs> yeah, this is it's just really good, man. I, I mean, John Carpenter, like to me, this is his part of his holy trinity. I I think of the thing. I think of. Um, obviously Halloween and uh, my, my third would be they live even though I could see making an argument for probably Christine and you know a couple other ones but um, well but, for me my three would be in order the thing number one big trouble in little China number two and Halloween number three yeah I was leaning more towards the horror trilogy but oh just the horror okay yeah okay. but I mean if you just want to go John Carpenter I'd still keep it the same for me because yeah. um I don't know. They live really had a big impact on me at the right time. I really, you know, I still pop that in maybe once or twice a year. Yeah, we've um, talked about this before. I've never seen They Live. What? Yeah, I know. I got to see that. Oh, dude. let's <laughs> let's let's pause the pot. Let's pause the show. <laughs> Go find it, watch it, yeah. and come back. I can't believe you've never seen that. I know. I. I I, there's a whole list of movies you wouldn't believe I've never seen. Some of them I'm embarrassed to say so. Well, you should be embarrassed about that. You're a John, we'll talk John, about... John Carpenter fan. What are you doing? Yeah, I know, I know. I need to, I need to say it. But um, 
Well, I don't know if it's going to knock off Big Trouble in Little China for you because I mean, you know, it's the way the way the way the movies work, you get connected to them, and some of it's sure, nostalgia, sure. some of it's just a really good movie. And I do think Big Trouble in Little China is a really good movie as well. I was just going more towards the three. Well, like I said, there's still my three in my order, no matter how you want to, you know, yeah. whether it's genre or just overall. But, um, yeah, they live as better, man. So I do have in my notes, there is one, one, I guess, effect or scene that I don't like. And that's the scene towards the end where, uh, what's his name? The oatmeal guy. You know. You're right, uh, Doctor Blair. <laughs> yeah, Blair puts his puts his fingers through that guy's face. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. Uh, he grabs I, I know his face and about. he pushes his fingers in, and it just looks kind of silly. And I don't know what the point of that is and what's going on there. I don't know if they were saying like this is how the monsters like kind of attaching himself, or it was just like I'm going to grab your face so hard I'm going to push my fingers through your cheeks. I don't know, but well, it was a little I, silly. I, I think, yeah, I know what you're saying. I think it was just him just doing the assimilating, and they, they can do it various ways. Like, okay, you know, we've yeah. seen it. We've seen with the dogs how he was uh, shooting that like a fluid towards them, and all his little oh, tentacles yeah. were coming out, and um, and then the one guy he bit his head off. You know, like he attached yeah, to his head, yeah. and okay. basically, it just feels like it's a way of infecting them because. Um, because even after, uh, was it Windows, the guy that got his head bit off or bit on the head, you know, after they had burned up the one thing, they look over to him on the ground and he's starting to assimilate. So it doesn't take yeah. much. All it takes, yeah. I guess, yeah. is just a contact with them and, and they infect you immediately. That's true. I, I always kind of took it as he's just grabbing him so hard that he plunged his fingers. But maybe, maybe uh, if I think of it more of a, it's the monster doing it, Right, and I guess I can buy that a little bit more. Yeah, but it just looks I, I think a it's well. I think what's kind of hokey is the yeah. fact that he built, you know, like a disc shaped yes, UFO. Yes, it's yes. like where did he get all these parts from? He's only been in there for a little bit. Like what, I was going like to bring that up too. Half a day oh, yeah. or something. He's already got a UFO, and it's got to look like a classic fifties UFO. It was kind of, that was kind of silly, but it was silly. I, I still like it and I love it. You know, I don't. It's it is what it is, but it's just like how. <laughs> where did, yes. I mean, he was he was tunneling, but I'm still like, where are all these parts coming from? And the thing is, it just it's not necessary to me. Like no. I don't know, it would have been just as fine to have him just sabotaging everything and right. him trying to build a spaceship to leave and go back to his planet or whatever the heck they were. That, trying that, to... Yeah, that was kind of silly because what? How far was that going to go? Yeah, but I mean, so, maybe he, honestly, he probably wasn't trying to leave the planet. He was probably trying to just get towards more. I mean, that was basically his form of transportation and maybe the fact that that's what they know how to build and it was a smaller version of their large craft that they show so it's, yeah I mean you can come up with all kind of scenarios right. or ideas but right. I, I do agree it, it's a little it's a little silly little that, bit that would be but my one enough, complaint yeah but not enough for me to it doesn't it doesn't hurt me at all <clears> in the, as far as the movie goes it's it just no it just is what it is um yeah I, I agree with you though there it's not I don't know. It's as close to perfect as you could get, but you, you know, like anything, there's always a little room for nitpicking. Yeah, yeah, and 
I mean, just to just to reiterate again, some of the effect scenes, like the, the kennel scene, you can't talk about that one enough either. All the tentacles no, and the, awesome. the fluid shooting everywhere, and oh, and the sound effects, you can't forget about those either. The the monster sound effects, all the weird moaning, and it sounds almost like synthesized to a certain degree, but it's just it's it's so weird that it doesn't sound like anything. Like it doesn't sound like an animal. It doesn't no. sound like. It just sounds like something you've never heard before. Well, e- so even those the... little details, you know. The first guy that they—well, I don't know if it was the, fir- yeah, the the guy that they burned out in the middle of, um, yeah, yeah, and he With the he big started, hand. yeah, he started like screaming and he, yeah, because he was in the in the middle of transforming and they kind of caught him in mid transformation. He hadn't quite assimilated all the way, yeah, so yeah. he hadn't learned how to talk yet. I will I will give a, a little nod to that uh, that prequel. I did like some of the things they added to it. Um, for instance, I don't think this is a big spoiler or anything like that. Like feelings and teeth kind of thing. Uh-huh. And that was something that they focused on. Like, And I don't believe they focused on any of that in this movie. But the fact that it replicates um, and it couldn't replicate metal. Ah, so <clears throat> I I thought that was a cool. I, if there was yeah. one thing from that prequel that I liked that they added, it was that. Yeah, that's a pretty cool idea. Actually, I, I thought yeah. that was pretty cool because everything else seems to be organic, even though they quite don't explain how they happen to have the same clothes. But maybe because they're organic materials, I guess. But um, but then if you're going, you mean in that, the original movie? Uh, yeah, in the original. In, in okay, the thing about the metal is in the prequel. But in, in right, right. the movie, the John Carpenter movie, I mean, they don't really quite explain how they just happen to have the same clothes. Well, I think, if I'm not mistaken, there, there were a couple. They did address that. Remember they found, was it McCready's clothes? Right. And so they, spe- I was, they speculated yeah, they whether tags. or not. Right. But um, I think they had, like, a stockpile of, like, uniform. Well, maybe not. I don't no, know. No, because the know. one guy was wearing a coat. And- yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I, I know what you're saying. About that. Maybe we'd have to rewatch it again and analyze that a little closer. Yeah. Like, I mean, uh, for instance, in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, when they replicate the the people are nude. Well, wouldn't wouldn't maybe they be nude and he then took the clothes off the dead body? I mean, it's possible. That that's but I that, guess that, what. I... Uh, but maybe. Yeah, and maybe that's why we find the because there there was that speculation whether or not McCready could possibly be right, a right, thing. Right. Um, but then again, it's like why would he try to kill things? But then maybe that was his. I don't know. Who knows? It could be like yeah. fourth degree chest or something. You know what I mean? Or fourth level <laughs> right. Whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe that was yeah. the thing. I'll take the. We'll get. You know, it was just about one of them surviving, and 
hive mind who knows how it works you know does sure. it become a different thing or is it still connected i mean that there was other explanations that they didn't really but i actually kind of like that about the movie it didn't have to it didn't hold your hand it didn't explain everything yep, yep, it didn't yep. necessarily reveal every mystery in the movie it even leaves you on a cliffhanger which i really appreciate when movies do that well i don't i don't need a concrete ending that doesn't sometimes you want it but other times it's unnecessary and i really feel like the way this movie ended was perfect i didn't need uh-huh. any sort of i felt like the conclusion is however you take it you know well, what I that's mean? why i think the original halloween is still the best one because you don't know what he is that right end scene where he's gone again it's like you just you don't know they don't tell you and you don't know <laughs> well and, and, and ev- every movie beyond that one even though i do i do like what they did in the reboot the last reboot i don't want to go back through that timeline again but um <laughs> yeah, please we won't do that because it'll take another half hour yeah, but exactly. um but every earlier sequel reboot ish all the crap that they did they kept trying to build on him and add all this extra mystery and it's like no dummy it's just like the shark in the water you know as soon as you start yeah. like showing all the shark and yeah. hey it's just a it's just a fish you know what i mean like it, it loses all that you know like part of it is yeah. the mystery of it you know it's it's fine that we don't know everything about michael myers yeah. It's it's much better to think he's just randomly killing people, and he just so happened to choose these one because they were living in his old house. Not because the girl was his sister. That's so stupid. And I'm so glad they retcon that because that was just dumb. That was stupid. Anyways, yeah, I don't want to go back on Halloween. Right. Go ahead. But the uh, the whole solo thing. We don't we don't need we to don't see need the Kessel know, Run. It, we yes. don't need to know where he got his jacket and his gun and his name. We had or, or that that's our some heads. robot's brain Ugh. is the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, we can't, that is okay. so we can't stupid. get down this road. We can't right. do it. We can't because we'll never stop. Right. <laughs> we All already right. had a Star Wars podcast. Okay, let's forget that. Let's just go to the ending of the movie. All right, you got okay. the last two people that we see. Yeah. Um, it is possible that one other guy uh, that maybe nails could possibly be alive. I don't know. We don't quite see him die, but the last two that we know for a fact are alive. Are Childs and McCready. Now, there's always the debate whether or not one of them are a thing. What What is your take on that? Uh, my, no. I say no, but I think it's purposefully let open like that. And I think that's cool. I like the way I it ends. It. Like you said, it's a great ending. Uh, we, we don't, we're not supposed to know. But in my heart, they're both human. And they were friends in the end. And they, they went through all that together. And... They did what they had to do to stop this from infecting the right. rest of the world. They did the ultimate sacrifice. Yeah, right. yeah. So that's the way I always saw it in my heart. I, I will say they did give one clue, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's true. It's just like that little tease where if you look to McCready and see how he's breathing and all the 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 breath that comes out of his mouth, and then you look at Childs, and though there is a little bit of breath, it's not like the smokestack that's coming out of McCready's mouth you could make the argument and Childs was <laughs> gone for a while too there was a point where he was kind of like not in the scene for a little bit and then he kind of pops back up you could make the argument that Childs is a thing now are you saying that you think the filmmakers purposely made the smoke out of his mouth a little bit less as a clue or I, I don't know if they purposely <laughs> did it but it's definitely there go back uh. and watch it 
You when McCready's talking, he has a lot of breath coming out. And when you look at Childs talking, it doesn't look like as much. I'm assuming they're on the same set. You know what I mean? Like well, how how would they do that as filmmakers? How would they not make less moisture come out of Childs' breath? I, I mean, it could be lighting, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> it could be lighting. It, it, you know, it's probably it just have been, the lighting it, and the angle. It could have been a long a long scene, and they 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 cut it together. And they, it they, could you know have what I'm or like multiple maybe, takes, and they kind of different time of day. Maybe, war- I mean, maybe warmed it up or something when Childs <laughs> was talking. I really don't know, but I mean, it's definitely a clue in the movie whether or not it was a purposeful one or inadvertent. Yeah. If you're if you're looking at that last scene and you're trying to determine which one would be the thing and which one wouldn't, I think it's fair to say that that McCready isn't. But right, I think right. there is a question whether or not Childs is or not, and I love that. Yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, that's I great. would I would like to think that they're both not things because you have grown attached to both of these characters i mean it right. would it would be heartbreaking if mccready was one because he's the hero i mean they're all mm-hmm. heroes in their own right but he's the he's the central one he's the badass he's got the cool beard he's got the the rock star hair he's the man he's the helicopter pilot <laughs> i mean he's he's dope but um but I would say, I'd say Childs, to me, is the other big standout character where he has the cool lines, he's strong, you know, he's he's aggressive, you know, like, he's he's in it, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. you know, either one of them being it is, obviously, it's it's disappointing. You don't want, you want both of them to have succeeded, right? I mean, you want them right, to have eradicated right. the thing, but um, it would be interesting if they ever... I don't think they ever will, and they shouldn't really, because not every movie needs a sequel, and this one definitely doesn't. But if they ever did, you know, that actor, I mean, he's still alive. I mean, Keith David, he would be older. I just wonder if they would use him in some way or, like, how a sequel would work, you know? Yeah, yeah, hard to say. Right, because, I mean, he would have to... I I would assume one of those two would have to be the ones who would be the thing if it was going to... Unless they're going to, you know, cop out and somebody else off screen is, but... Uh, I like to think that they destroyed everything with their dynamite and their blow torches and everything. One thing that I think is is funny, unintentionally funny, that makes me laugh every time is how they're using the computers in this movie. Yeah, (laughs) how they're how Blair I think it is is on the computer and he like types in a question and the computer like answers him and shows him a graphic of what's gonna happen. Sure, it's like what in the world? It's a what do you with MacGuffin or whatever? It's that yeah, you know the the whole the computer can you know it's like our computers now can't do that. It's just silly, (laughs) but it's just one of those things where it's got to push the plot point along. But I don't think it was necessary. But you're right. this makes me laugh know. every time I see it. It's just well, one of my favorite scenes that is just so is such a like a I don't want to call it a throwaway scene, but it's not really uh, consequential to the kind of the whole plot. But you know when McCready's sitting there playing uh, chess, uh huh, yeah, and the computer wins, uh-huh. and then he and he's sitting there drinking. You know he's drinking like a scotch or a bourbon or whatever, and then. Uh, he just opens up this little latch on it, just dumps it in <laughs> yeah. there, just short circuits the computer. It's just like that's yeah. that's just such cool. I mean, he's so cool, dude. Yeah, yeah, great character for sure. So, uh, other than what we already talked about, I'll just briefly. I have a couple of interesting facts I put on here. Um, this is John Carpenter's favorite film to date that he's made. This is the one that's near and dear to his heart the most, which I think is cool. And he was very upset that this was that this bombed essentially and was panned critically um, when it first came out 
because he he put so much into this and this was so you know special to him um thankfully in the subsequent years it has gained a cult following and a bigger appreciation but yeah this was not well received um by audiences or critics which i don't understand at all but um, i i don't either i i i it just shows you how stupid critics are <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. <clears throat> how could that not be and and it holds up and it's such a classic and i think especially in the horror community which you know i i hate using the term community and stuff because everything's a community but <laughs> in the horror community it is treated as one of these you know godlike films you know what i mean it's yeah it's it's the it's the shit you know what i mean but you compare it to uh some of these other films that came out in a certain time that might have gotten more acclaim, and I don't think they hold up. Yeah. And the last thing I will, I will note here is that it opened the same day as Blade Runner, which is which was also not well received. Right, but, and that's considered you know, a classic now too. Yeah, they both hold places as uh, many people's favorite films in their respective genres. So. Um, yeah, very interesting. That it opened up on the same day as Blade Runner, and they both kind of have that same kind of history of not doing real well, but being cult classics. So, that is it. That is my quintessential '80s horror movie. I love this movie. I can watch it multiple times a year and never get sick of it. I think it's. And I'll use the term again. I know I use it a lot, but I think it's a masterpiece, at least in this horror genre. For what it is, I think it's it's perfect. So. Well, I agree you with you, buddy. It. It is a masterpiece, and I do like to watch it. Uh, I don't necessarily watch it multiple times a year, but I have this year. I've already watched it twice, so. Cool. And if you want to watch something else, too, I also did a Stuck in the 80s uh, uh, episode on 80s horror. It was essentially all about the thing. But right. um, yeah. if you want to go check that out on my YouTube channel, feel free, because I had a lot of fun making that one, too. So there you go. All right. Your turn, Chris. Well, uh, mine is, this is the one that I go back to when I want to, like, a comfort movie that's horror, you know, it's a horror movie, horror-ish movie. I mean, it's a horror movie, but it has a little bit of uh, comedy to it. Um, and it's, and I did talk about this in our horror episode, too, so it's kind of a repeat, but it to me, it's just, I could not talk about it again. But it's A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, The Dream Warriors, and... Um, it came out in uh, 1997, which was, or 87, I mean, which was a great year for films because, you know, it also, Robocop was that movie. It's like, it must have been the, oh, the yeah, year for yeah. me, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, <clears throat> Wes Craven, uh, he did the original, uh, A Nightmare in Elm Street, and um, I think some people, you know, you have two camps. It's almost like uh, the Star Wars Empire Strikes, you know, New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, which one's better, right? And where I think it's the same kind of thing. More people lean towards this being the ultimate Elm Street movie. And I am definitely in the Dream Warrior camp. Um, <laughs> you know, the original movie, Wes Craven wasn't happy with the ending because the, the studio kind of made him tack on uh, an ending to it that left it open for a sequel. So if you've ever watched the original, the ending has kind of like this... It's a really bad ending where <laughs> yeah, uh, the mom gets yanked through the door and it's yeah. obviously like a blow-up doll. and yeah. It's, it's, it's just, really weird. It's, it's really bad. Um, it it kind of works, I guess, but it doesn't quite fit. And actually, the whole concept of the movie was what it was. 
or was in the title it was a nightmare on elm street the whole thing was just supposed to be a nightmare and at the end when right. she wakes up and her mom's alive <laughs> and her friends are there and she's you know like that was supposed to be the ending and it was really? all it all was supposed to be a nightmare but hmm. the studio didn't like that the studio wanted the opportunity to make sequels off of it they saw the fact that hey you know <clears> this is uh we got something so they kind of forced that ending on wes and of course he didn't do the sequel you know part two uh freddy's Reve uh, freddy's revenge which you know there's some good stuff about it and there's a lot of bad stuff about it and it is what it is um i don't really like to think of part two as canon i kind of just erase it i kind of go skip from one to three when i think about the way they connect yeah and i think that's kind of what they wanted you to do it was almost kind of like a like a like a soft retcon of part two <laughs> you know what i mean mm -hmm. it was kind of like yeah you know like yeah that's out there but uh we're gonna bring nancy back which was the which was the final girl from the original movie. They also mm -hmm. brought her father back, which was played by John Saxton, which he's awesome. And um, so it kind of, it, it, it starts with a new character. Her name is Kristen. And you, you know, it starts with a dream scene, which is a great way to start an Elm Street movie. You just get right into it. And you can kind of tell right off the bat that the tone has changed because there's, Okay, in the original movie, there was like seven minutes of Freddy in the entire movie. Now, you could say less is more, kind of like Jaws, and I, and I can agree with that. But I would say the audience disagrees because there was a lot more <laughs> Freddy in this movie, and I think he's awesome. This is the height of the Elm Street movies. Um, I do actually like part four and five as well, but part three is the pinnacle and everything after that is like just diminishing returns, you know, yeah. especially when it gets into <clears throat> the later films. But um, they did a really good job. They, they you got this little cast of characters. Um, there, there are all these teens who are, you know, quote unquote, the last of the Elm Street children, and they're all in this. They all end up into like this. I guess you could basically call it like a psychiatric hospital for a lack of a better... I mean, that's, that is what it is. It's a psychiatric hospital, mm -hmm. but this particular ward just happens to be packed with these teens. And they all have this common, you know, reason uh, why they're having problems. I mean, uh, they're all in there for basically, you know, perceived attempted suicide, like the initial character, Kristen. Kristen. At the end of her scene, Freddy kind of sets her up to make it look like she's slitting her own wrists. You know, in the right. dream, he's cutting her hands with the faucet. But in the real world, when her mom busts into the bathroom, she's holding a razor blade in her hand and she slit her own wrist. Um, right. <clears throat> so it, you kind of get the setup right away. What's going on? You got like it, it's they did a really good job, too, because after that, it takes a little while before they gets to the next Freddy scene. So they give you enough time to kind of build up these characters. You get to you get to meet these teenagers you can kind of see their personalities. You got Kincaid, kind of like the, you know, the wisecracking, tough, you know, African-American yeah. character. And, you know, you kind of have this junkie girl who, um, you know, like, uh, what's her name? Tyron, I think her name is. But yeah, anyways, something like that. Something like that. And uh, she's got, you know, she's so you could tell she's been through a lot and she's coped with drugs and uh you got another boy his name is will he's in a wheelchair um they said that he you know tried to jump to commit suicide which you could probably imagine it was probably a freddy dream that you know put this kid in a chair 
So you have all these different characters and they did a really good job of building it. Um, the practical effects are just, you know, off out of this world in this movie. It's really good. I yeah. mean, there's this one particular scene where, you know, Freddy is like a snake where the head is, yeah, is like yeah. a regular Freddy head, but the body is just like this long snake, like, you know, body, but it looks all burnt up like Freddy's flesh, you know? And, yeah. You know, uh, he bites Kristen from below and he slams her on the ground and he's going to start swallowing her. And then, okay, let me take one step back. Kristen has like this telekinetic power where she could pull people into her dreams. Um, They don't really kind of explain why and you don't really care. You just accept it. So she has like this ability when she's sleeping, if somebody else is sleeping, she can pull them into her dreams. She does make a little reference that when she was a, a little girl... Um, and she was having a bad dream. She would pull her father into the nightmare and he would kind of help her. And then the next day when they would talk to each other about it, uh, he thought it was his dream. And right. so you get this, you get a kind of a background to her that she has this ability. Well, while she's in this dream and um, they've already established the fact that she knows Nancy. Nancy had came into this room when, when she was first taken to the hospital and she started saying like the nursery rhyme she finished the nursery rhyme so they had this bond she understands right. like this lady believes me she understands that this freddy is real because of course all the adults are like no you're crazy here take these pills and you just need to sleep and you know because all the kids are sleep deprived so in this opening scene you know they established you know in that opening sequence with nancy and Kristen. You know, they establish this bond and, you know, when the next time Kristen goes under because they sedated her, uh, Nancy goes to sleep and she gets pulled into her dream. And uh, so now you now you can kind of see like, okay, this is a little different than the original movie. They it's but it kind of makes sense, though, like it's kind of hokey, but it's not because like in your dreams, like especially when they use it like. What would be your dream? You'd be able to fly. You'd be strong. Right. You'd be, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, so they, they kind of took it that way. It's like, why couldn't they be as powerful as Freddy in the dream? It is a dream, right? So I thought that was really cool. You know, they did a really good job of kind of a stat. Each of them kind of had like their own superpower. So in a way, it's almost kind of like a superpower, or like a superhero movie sort of. But, um, but the dream sequences are second to none in the series. Um, they did a good job of, of really establishing the rules of Freddy, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, and, and even when you go back to the first movie, you think it's a perfect movie, but when you kind of really break it down, I mean, it's so like, okay, so if he stabs you, you don't wake up, but yet there's a scene where Nancy burns her arm on a pipe and she wakes up. So which is it? You know what I mean? Like right, it's, right. there were some inconsistencies, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's even another weird scene in the original where she's having the Johnny Depp character watch her sleep and as she's going into the dream she turns around and says hey are you there and he pops up from behind a bush he's like yeah I'm over here but like how could he be he's supposed to be awake and like it didn't even make any sense so (laughs) there was some inconsistencies in the original movie Uh, plus the fact is the thing that you watched a Freddy movie for is the death scenes Um, I think I think what separates this because all of them have these especially from three on they all have these like these elaborate death scenes uh these dream sequences i think what the difference is is they did a really good job of establishing all these characters so you actually care for them and you get their personalities Mm -hmm. yeah 
for sure. As opposed to some of the later ones, you just know that okay, that's they're all red shirts except for the main hero. You know what I mean? Right, you know, like right. okay, when does this person die? When does that person right, die? Right. Whereas in this one, you don't really quite know how it's gonna. And you know, they don't all die, which is there's more than technically one. Well, I guess there's only one final girl, but there's not one final survivor. So I think. Uh, that, I mean, anyways, so that's the gist of the basics of it. Um, so what what is something... I, I know you and your son watched it recently. Yep, yep. So what was it that stood out to you? Well, I'll say that um, I'm not as well-versed in the Freddy series as you are. Uh, I did see this one multiple times back in the day. Well, I, not as a kid, as a young adult or teenager. Mm-hmm. Probably an older teenager is when I probably saw this for the first time. Um... But it had to be if it was in 87, right? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Well, 87, I was, uh, uh, let's see, 12 years old. Okay, well, definitely a teenager. I I never saw it as a kid. Yeah. Right. I I, I only saw this as, you know, 17, 16, something like that. Yeah, something like that. But um, so um, I hadn't seen it since I was a teenager, and I watched it with my 18-year-old son, Bobby, um, just the other night. And it was really fun to revisit. I think I've only ever seen the first one and, and this one. I don't know if I've ever seen any of the other uh, films. But when I watched this one, it was all coming back. And I knew I had seen it. But um, it was all coming back pretty pretty quickly as I watched it. But um, I really liked it a lot. It was it was fun. It's a very different movie. They're both horror. It's funny how different this is than The Thing. Um, whole different tone. This, I right. guess, because it's can't be if you want to use that term well yeah i mean there's definitely a a, a slight campy element to it i think mm-hmm. but i i think the differences are one well this is the difference um one's a monster movie and one's a slasher movie mm-hmm, yeah you know what i mean whereas you don't <clears throat> watch the thing necessarily to see how many people get killed it's about the monster and it's about the you know that whereas you know a freddy movie is definitely a slasher movie you know yeah. what i mean so, so yeah, definitely what stood out, like you just said, um, you cared about the characters. They were fun. They were interesting. They were well acted, Ex- except for Nancy is not a very good actor. Actress. You know what? I, I <laughs> would really say bad. that. I, you know what? And I remember, you know, I, I have to say, I, I don't even want to call it a crush because it sounds like it's a little more. But I remember really like she's she's cute, very cute. And sure, she was, she sure. was definitely my type when I was that age. But um, there. I, watching her at times, you wonder. It's like, are they feeding her lines? I know because it seems really... like it seems like she she pauses, and uh-huh. then and then she'll talk. And I'm like, is 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 are they feeding her lines, or are they telling her <laughs> that she's supposed to be thinking? Or, I mean, are they are they building on the fact that she's been through trauma? Like, what what? I don't understand what's happening here. But yeah, it's a little jarring and a little distracting because I think the rest of the cast is they're a so lot much better. better. Yes, so much more charismatic and natural. Yep. She just seems very wooden in this film. I don't know. I, I think in the movie she has her moments, but I do agree with you that if yeah. you're gonna pick apart the characters, she definitely is one of the ones who are, <laughs> or that that you you would expect a little more out of her. But uh, this movie, you know, it knew what it wanted to be, and it did it well. It, it, it didn't take itself too seriously, but at the same time, it, it just it, it, it kept that balance, I think, good to where it was, it was fun, it was a little silly, but it was also, 
you know, you, again, you cared about these characters. You really wanted them to win and, and beat Freddy. And it was it was a fun ride the whole time. Um, that, like you said, the practical effects were really fun to watch, especially the stop uh, stop animation or stop motion animation. I guess. Um, I guess there was a couple scenes, uh, especially the one where Freddy was small. What was yeah, that happened there? He well, he was he a little was mini a, Freddy. He well, he was a puppet because the one oh, the yeah, guy yeah, yeah. Philip he he made uh, yes. m- marionettes or whatever the little puppets. Yeah, yeah. Uh oh, the clock. <laughs> Six p.m. Yeah, and so Freddy uh, became one, and it had a little bit of claymation to it, which I thought was awesome. And then even at, cool, yeah. later on in the in the movie. Uh, when they're burying Freddy's bones, mm-hmm. because that yeah. they have to do that to you know to put him to rest. That was the way they were going to kill him in this movie. Um, he it almost had like that. Uh, was it Jason and the Argonauts or, or whatever? Yeah, like you know, I it had, about or, that. or even uh, even like Clash Sinbad. of the Clash of the Temp, uh, Clash of the Titans, or you know, like those. And kind didn't of movies. Sinbad have a skeleton fight in it? The I think Sinbad it did. Movie? I think it did. I thought about that. I was like, this looks, this is awesome, and it was very well done. It, it, yeah, it, it looked great. So, I mean, yeah, you, that, you can see a little bit good. of the blue screen, or I, I don't know if it was green or blue, but you can see a little bit about it with that guy who's like the bootleg Bill Maher. You know the one doctor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, th- I really feel like that. Yeah. They're like, funny. you know, what we really want you to look like Bill Maher. He does. You know what you're, I mean? You're right. He does. He does. Funny. Especially from that era with that uh, kind of like that fro mullet. Yeah, that fro mullet. Yeah. But that's um, funny. The effects in general, all of them were really, really good. And Bobby, especially the scene where he pulled the veins out of that kid and was yes. using him as a puppet. Oh, he was man. he was like cringing. He's like, "Oh, that's gross." It, it's oh. really, and then they and you know it holds up too because they like they zoomed in on his feet. Exactly. You know, so yeah. When he's walking and, and even his wrists, it's like, "Oh my gosh." Like It was just clever. That is so brutal. And you know, and what I liked about it is See, that's the other thing that I thought was very clever with the writing. Okay, first off, let me, let me backtrack a little bit. Wes Craven wrote the... They brought him back to write the screenplay. But it's okay. what you see isn't actually all Wes Craven. He wanted okay. to be more horror, more vicious. And yeah. uh, the guys who actually ended up finishing the writing job, I had their name here. It doesn't matter. Those guys actually... Um, softened it up a little bit to give you a little more of freddy character to make him you know uh, i mean they they saw dollar signs they're smart like it was this this movie made them a lot of money (laughs) you know what i mean like it was a it was very well done but but what i liked about what freddy did is he actually used their personalities against them when he killed them whereas Mm -hmm. the one kid philip he was into making puppets so what did he do he turned Uh him into a puppet you know, right, right. Um, of course, the other huge like to me, there's two big deaths in the movie that I well, three, I'd say three that I really are the are the cream of the crop as far as De- Freddie uh, death scenes. One is is Phil with the with the puppet. Um, right. I say the other one is, you know, that when he turned the table on the drug addict and he has like the heroin fingers uh-huh. or whatever and he. And her little arms have the little sucking mouse on it. And <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. He gives her the big overdose. But I think probably the one that stands out to everybody would be uh, Jennifer, the girl yep. who wanted to be an actress. Yeah. And uh, she's in what they refer to as the quiet room where you can sit in there. And, and she would sit in there and she's smoking and she's um, 
watching TV, which I don't understand why it's called a quiet room if there's a television in there, but maybe the <laughs> maybe the people are supposed to be quiet. But mm-hmm. so she's sitting in there and she's watching TV. This was after Phil Philip's death, so she's shook and uh she's in there and and you know, she just it just took a moment of her to closing her eyes and popping it back open and now she's in the dream world and she doesn't recognize yep. it and and even as the audience you kind of understand that she does but again everything still looks the same um she's watching uh she's watching some movies she's flipping through the channel she ends up on like a talk show and uh, Zsa Zsa Gabor is on uh-huh. there which is which is like man if you're gonna do a cameo that's the way to do it you know what I mean yep. like you take this some people are gonna recognize who she is and some people aren't even gonna understand it and it doesn't even matter so Zsa Zsa Gabor is like this guest on like a Johnny Carson type of show and the guy's asking him something you know he's asking her a question and she's starting to answer and he's like you know what who gives a F what you think and he he turns into Freddy momentarily, right. and he and he and he stabs her. But you don't quite see it, and it happened so quick, so she wasn't quite sure. And then the the TV went to static, so she goes over there, and then you can start to hear. And another great thing what they did with this movie was, you know, they did these really cool remixes of the 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 Freddy. Uh, I don't know what do you call it, like a it's not a lullaby, but you know the little jingle, the nursery the, rhyme. The yeah. nursery rhyme. There yeah. you go. The Freddie Nursery rhyme, you can, it kind of was almost like this remix. You can hear the little girls singing the song, but then they mix in like these screams and cries yeah. and stuff, and it's really cool. And so she goes up to the TV to try to get it to go back. You know, she's flipping the channel, she's hitting on it. And then all of a sudden, Freddie's arms bust out and grabs her and picks her <laughs> yeah, up. And then great. his head pops out the top of the TV, which is just awesome. Again, great effects. You know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah. that's a practical effect. So he's, you know, and the the best thing about this is he ad-libs the big line, which... Oh, really? Yeah, and out of the whole series, it's the only it's the only one that he ad-libbed, but it's it's so awesome. And um, <laughs> yeah. I, I'll, I'll, uh, even though I already cursed once in this episode, we try to keep it a family show. So You're anyway, I, I'm just quoting her, <laughs> uh, quoting Freddie, I mean. He tells her... Uh, you know, hey, this is it, Jennifer, your big break in TV. And then, you know, of course, she's like screaming in terror. And he's like, welcome to prime time, bitch. And he rams her head right into the TV. It's such a great thing, and then of course, I for, you know I forgot to mention Lewis Lewis um, Lawrence Fis, Fishburne, right? Am yeah, yeah, yeah. Lawrence yeah. Lawrence. I don't know. I'm having trouble with that word right now. Lawrence <laughs> Fishburne. He um, he's he's one of the orderlies, and uh, so he runs back into the room. And prior to that, he was talking to her, telling her she needed to go to bed, and she's like, "Just let me stay up a little bit longer." Blah blah blah. His name is Max, and. Uh, so he pops in and all he sees is like Jennifer's body hanging out of this TV and it's all <laughs> it's, like black and everything. It's and it's just, yeah. yeah. And it's like, you know, the look on his face is like, how did that even happen? You know what I mean? Like, because, it's you know, hysterical. there's no Freddy there. It's just her hanging out of this TV all dead. 
And there's yeah, even I'm like thinking a, to myself, you know, are they going to say she killed herself by ramming her head right, into a like hanging I, TV? How do they explain <laughs> that? You know what I mean? And there's even yeah. like a funnier scene later on in the movie where some of the surviving kids are in that room. Yep. And you can say one of them kind of looks up and looks at the wall where like they took the TV out, but it's still black there. You know, you don't, they don't you say anything, but you yeah, know. when we watched that, Bobby like laughed. He's like, because they're all in this. Like, why would they leave the big burnt TV in the right, room? Like, they're all looking they, at it and touching it. It's like, what? You know what I mean? So, I, it, it's just a great scene. It's it's easily the best Freddy kill out of the entire series. Yeah. Um, it's so iconic. And the fact that, you know, when I learned that fact about it being ad libbed, I just thought, man, that just makes it even better, you know? Yeah. One of the things that I thought was funny that Bobby kind of mentioned that he noticed was how how this uh, asylum or whatever you want to call it was was operating. Um, I don't know, and I, I thought to myself, I, I don't know if this is a product of how things probably really were in the '80s to some degree, or just a character, you know, a caricature of how one of these things would operate in an 80s movie. But just how, like, they were manhandling them and grabbing them and, yeah. like, forcing them to do this and do that and just, you know, how they're just kind of walking around freely and the, the orderly guy, Max, was just interacting with them in a, in a certain way with nobody around and that creepy guy that was, like, yeah, coming was trying, on to the... It's like, geez, yeah. a whiz. But I, I, I would imagine in the 80s, you know, the 80s weren't wasn't that far removed from, like, the 60s where... Those those things weren't done appropriately. Let's say, well, um, let's, there was a lot of abuse I mean, and a lot of. Frankly, mental you know. people in mental in mental facilities, they're still abused. So, it, right. I mean, I honestly, I don't to, really. It feels like it was more. Um, I don't know. They were more cavalier about it. I guess like there was no fear of that girl to. Well, he even told her like, "What are they going to do? Believe a junkie like you?" You know, he kind of. Which we, he yeah. was trying to proposition her, saying, "Hey, you know, I got the keys to the medicine cabinet. We can, you know, do some yeah. drugs." And just and, and just even how the head, the head, uh, the woman who was kind of heading up the place, um, they would have men grabbing the girls and throwing them yeah. in a quiet room, and just that kind of behavior was kind of shocking to Bobby. He was like, "Is that really how things were in the '80s?" I was like, "Well, a little bit, maybe. <laughs> I don't really know because I was never." But you know things are much more regulated nowadays, and you got to be way more careful with how you treat people. Sure. But it was just kind of sh- funny how he he noticed that how 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 that was being operated was a little shocking to him. But I just thought I'd point that out. Yeah. No. I mean it's it's a good it's a good observation. Sure. Um, yeah, I think that's a it's a it is funny though or, or interesting to see it through. So especially that was the first time he ever seen it, right? Bobby. Yeah. Bobby? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So to see it through his eyes would have been an interesting watch to kind of yeah. see what he thought about it. Had he seen any of the other ones? Or he just went right to part no. three? No. Uh, he wanted to see the first one first because he just bought that eight-disc yeah. set that I showed you on Twitter. But I said, you know, it's fine. I, I wanted him to watch it with me because I thought it'd be fun, and I wanted to it's watch It's totally fine obviously. to start with part three. Yeah, and I, I said that, uh, you know, I think this is the better one, and it's probably fine. They're probably going to go over the lore anyway yep. to some degree. So he, he went ahead and watched it with me, and he really liked it. He enjoyed it. Well, I would say he, if you if you ever wanted to watch, if he just wanted to get, like, kind of what I consider, like, the, the heart and soul of it, I would say one, three, four, five, and then you're good. Well, here's what I'll say, too, that I kind of thought about a lot after watching it. I thought, 
No, I don't think I've seen four or five. I might have. I just don't remember them. But I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if I never saw them. But I thought to myself, this should have been the end. Because well, I how... think I think Wes Craven kind of wanted it to be the end. If you even look at the ending, I mean, the fact that they came to like this ending of they buried well, yeah. him. Yeah, I, I mean, everything came together, and it was the perfect way to end this trilogy. It could have been a good trilogy in in this kind of perfect way with this great. Right movie that found that great balance of campiness and horror and and comedy and really was a good movie and well well put together and you know just in regards to the fact that his mother was now part of this lore Mm -hmm. and his backstory and they explained how you know he was she was a nun in this very facility and she she was raped by a hundred maniacs or yeah. whatever the line was. He, yeah. He's the he's the product. He's the son of a he's the of bastard son maniacs. of a hundred yeah. maniacs, right. <laughs> which is a hysterical line. It is. But just how they brought that into the story, and that these kids were the final ones of the Elm Street kids, and this all took place in this place. They had to actually get his physical bones right. and do this ritual and kill him physically and in the dream world at the same time. All that together, it was really kind of clever and, and yep. fun. Well, and they and, brought back the two remaining characters from the original movie. Yeah, and even then, this would have been the, the perfect it, end. It and really again, would have, but I mean, I mean, of course, you know why they continued it. Well, money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They <laughs> Money. <laughs> right, they wanted more that's of always, it. That's the answer to everything. Right, they wanted Money, more. But... A lot lot more of it. Because they needed all the money. But artistically speak, creatively speaking, Absolutely. I think it would have been great if this was just the end of it. Because they... they, they if you can't kill Freddy this way, like well, this, this getting all diminish- these elements together, trust me, how else... There's no way to kill him that. Trust because... me, there's very diminishing returns on the way they kill him going forward. Mm-hmm. It is... Ugh. Especially, I mean, even though I do like four and five, they they're very nostalgic for me. I saw them in the theaters. Um, I think they do have some good characters. There's definitely some good death scenes. There are some stinkers as well. But um, <laughs> I mean, I I don't want to ruin it for you. Just watch them. But man, there's a couple of you're just like what? That's, well, that's they, what I'm saying. That's without even killed them? like what? without even have seen uh, have seen them, I I thought they should. They should have just ended it here. There's no other way to end. This was a really good way to end to end it to kill him. It was clever. It was they brought again. They brought his backstory into it. They they expanded on that. They brought his mother. They they got his physical body, his bones, and that would. I mean, if you can't, if that's not going to do it, then nothing is. You know, and I'm right. thinking that's this should have been it. Well, but, um, there's some similarities w- between Wes Craven and John Carpenter. Because in the original Halloween, that's all he wanted it to be. And at the mm-hmm. end of it, that was supposed to be the ending. Yeah. Like, that was it. And there was going to yeah. be no more. And from that point on, it was going to be like an anthology series that each year was going to be a different Halloween story. Um, right. So when they kind of strong-armed him into coming back for part two, at the end, he's like, you know what? I'm going to kill him. It's over. Like, you know, they burned right. him. He's dead. You know what I mean? So right, he right. really was like, okay, fine. I'll come back and make a part two, but he's going to die. And he made sure of it. But, of course, it didn't stick. But it did for one right. movie anyways because part three was a different thing. But with uh, Wes Craven, he only wanted it to be one movie. And the fact that this movie exists is I'm grateful for it. It's, it's, it's like I said, it's one of my favorite movies of all time, let alone horror movies. Um but when you add in the fact that, you know, he came back and they used the bulk of his screenplay, they definitely tweaked it. 
you know, they, you know, but I think they preserved the ending. I, I, if I could be wrong about that, but I think this was his ending again, trying to kill him off. Like this was a great ending. Okay. Here's the reasons why he's still here. He's a tortured soul. You have to give him a proper burial. Right. And if you do that, he will go away. But even then, at the end, they still are like, yeah, but he's not dead because the little light in the in the little. Um... Yeah, I was going to bring that up, too. Um, what is I mean, I thought that was kind of dumb for like the end shot. Like, because what, yeah. what does that even mean? Is was are, are they implying that that last scene was a dream? No, I think what they were implying is even though they buried him, that somehow he's still there and there's right, going to be a part four but I get it but that, that the way they did it just didn't make any sense well like, buddy I mean let me tell you there's another one where <laughs> he's a reflection in a water fountain so I hate to break it to you that's not the oh. worst There's that's not the worst reveal and I'll, I'll tell you what I'll take that little light than the convertible with the red and black sweatshirt hood you know I mean the roof to it I mean that was what was that from well, from part one, at the end, they, wow. they all get in that car, and then the top comes up, and it's like reveals that it's basically Freddy's sweater. I hadn't seen that the first one in a, in a while, so I forgot about and then that. The, and then Freddy's arm comes out of the door and then yanks the yeah, mom okay. through, and she's a blow-up doll. Right, So, right, right. yeah, I mean, it, it's not... I To me, it's not the worst ending. I know what you're saying. I feel like it's not... Well, I, I'm just I feel saying like you didn't the, need it. You there could have been it. something a little more subtle... A little more that could have been like ah, oh, but the light coming on the model. It just I'm like, what is what does that even mean? Like how that couldn't have happened unless that was a dream sequence. And if that was a dream sequence, nobody was there observing it except the audience. It just doesn't make any sense, you know. It, it could have done something a little more clever. Well, uh, in fairness, nobody is observing it but the audience. But he has shown even in the original that he does exist outside of the dream world. Because even when he was the bones, I mean, he left the dream world to to get back into the bones to reanimate them, to fight them off. So he has that ability to cross over. They don't really... I mean, truth of the matter is there are rules even in this movie that Freddy breaks. I mean, it really... I, that's why I kind of like the... Even though even the original doesn't stick to it, but <clears throat> the thought of him only being able to get you while you sleep was good enough. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, in the original, she was able to pull him out of the dream because, you know, one of the dreams she had, she brought his hat back. And then, so then she's like, well, if I can bring his hat back, I can bring the whole Freddy back. And it's like, uh. So, like, even the original <laughs> one's not perfect. A lot of people like to think it's, you know, the best one. And, I, you know, hey, whatever, whatever appeals to whoever, you know, it's fine with me. It definitely is more horror-ish. I mean, it, it, it's mm -hmm. there's no, mm -hmm. yeah. there's really no comedy to it. I mean, he does still have a couple of lines, uh, not many. Well, like you said, this is the one where Freddie shines the most. Absolutely, so his, and he does a great job. He's got such charisma and character. He really does a, a great job delivering all his little one-liners um, that make this movie very, very fun and and you know, comic booky and gimmicky. That's one one of my things I thought about. Um, while watching it, I wish they would have done a little bit more with the Dream Warrior aspect. You know, each character had like one little skirmish with him. Right. I wish they would have done a little bit more with that kind of superhero esque kind of theme where they would battle him. Like you know, the wizard guy just throws. Well, one that little... that one was really weak. He was easily the worst kill out of yeah. all of them. 
was, was he just Will's, throws some the green lightning well, at him. and he's wearing like that count chocula looking outfit it's like <laughs> yeah. that's a weak wizard bro i just thought it would have been cool if they would have done a little bit more with that maybe have like one big battle where they all together were fighting him with all yeah. their powers but so it was just one little skirmish per character but um I guess that's really my only complaint is I wish they would have done a little bit, maybe just one more scene with some of that fighting. Yeah, because see, cause I, it was almost I, like they were they just toying with earlier that on. They could have done it earlier on. I think at the end it wouldn't have worked, but I think earlier in the movie had they had like one yeah. battle where they all were together, kind of like the Avengers, I guess. Mm-hmm. They all yeah, took right, they all right. took a chance to beat on them, but then you know yeah. maybe. <clears throat> the doctor opened the door and woke him up, or you know whatever. Like I think there could have been something to that. Um, I don't know. I it, to me, I, I it, it's fine for what it is. I mean, they, I guess part of it they don't want it to be too long because it's you know going for that popcorn audience. You know what I mean? Like you, when yeah, you start to make them probably, a little too long. Yeah. It, it probably has something to do with the runtime sure, as well. Sure, I get it. Uh, easily, Will's is the worst one. The Wizard Master. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> I almost feel like. I feel like their budget because all the the bulk of their money went into the into the special effects. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. All these were young actors. Uh, Patricia Arquette plays Christian. Yeah. That was her very first role. Uh, matter yeah. of fact, uh, yeah, she almost young. Yeah. she was having a hard time with her lines. It's funny because Nancy kind of looks like she's having a hard time with her lines, but Kristen was literally having a hard time with her lines. Like she was having <laughs> a hard time memorizing them uh, from some of the stuff that I read. Uh, here's another interesting fact about Robert England. Um, he was roommates with Mark Hamill, and he actually auditioned uh, for Luke Skywalker, or Seriously? or some or he actually I, I don't know necessarily if it was specifically for Luke Skywalker, but he definitely uh, auditioned for Star Wars. That's funny. We always, I always knew him from V, the TV yeah. series V. Yeah. What was his name? Willie, right? Yeah, I think so. That sounds right. I, I don't know. It's been a while since I watched V, but, but yeah, I, I knew V. I remember. I remember learning that Freddie was the guy from V. I was like, "What? That's him?" Yeah. I was like blown away because I knew I knew V first, um, and he's like this goofy character, and to now see him as like this monster, this mean horror. I was like, "Oh, I was just weird as a kid." But that's what I—that's my first exposure to Robert Englund was in V. Yeah, I had found a picture the other day, and I was gonna—I hope I saved it because I was thinking about putting it on our uh, on our Discord. Um, there was a picture mm-hmm. with Luke, uh, well, with Mark Hamill. He was showing—you know—it looked like a couple of girls. He was showing them the set, or so, he was showing some people the, the Star Wars set. They were looking over some of the miniatures, and in the back, like at the tail end of their little group was Robert England, And I was like, whoa, oh, is that that's Freddy? Cool. And then I started reading the comments and they were, uh, it was getting a little deeper into the fact that they were roommates. One of the, I guess, uh, Robert England had put out there that he came back from auditioning and that he had mentioned it to Mark Hamill and Mark's like, oh, well maybe I'll audition. And he went and auditioned and got the part. But I also read where somebody had that that was just kind of like him just saying that that in reality mm. Mark Hamill already had an audition set up as well right. that they both had auditions set up that's but they funny. were roommates and I thought yeah, that's just, that's pretty cool to think of these two guys and how different their careers went that's funny yeah you know but. well who who was your favorite who was your favorite character in the uh, Dream Warrior who was your favorite Dream Warrior ah uh, well heck uh. I just think of it as the death. So I th- my favorite death was, def- <laughs> was definitely um, 
Jennifer is going into the TV. Uh, as far as, I, I don't know, I guess the crowd pleaser is probably Kincaid. Because, you know, he had, like, the little the little quick comebacks, and he was kind of cool. Um, My favorite is yeah. the, the girl with dark hair, the, the punk with yeah, the two switch plates. Tara? I, I, no, it's not, yeah, some something Kyra like that. Or, it's not quite yeah. that, but, yeah. I, I really dig her. Okay, so if you're talking about when they're in the outfits and everything, oh, she was easily the one that stood out the best because she, she actually changed. Well, I like her. I liked her character both. Like I her, did. I just yeah, liked her you know what? You're, you know, you're right. And and you know what was crazy is she did really good as looking like the junkie. Yeah. Because I I just watched this uh, two days ago and she looked really pretty as the punk rock girl. So that was like a really good transformation. Like her yeah. skin looked really good, and she looked you know like obviously you know the hair is what it is, but. Um, and even when she was uh, being, you know, when when Freddie was killing her, like that scream she puts out is really good. Like I, I really yeah. liked her as an actress. Uh, so I, I, agree. I did too. I, yeah, I, yeah I, I have to lean. I, you know, the weaker one, obviously. I, even though I did like Will, as far as his interactions with the other kids, and uh-huh. you know, when he was in bed and and Joey was supposed to be on uh, watch and. Yeah, and yeah. Phil was gonna, you know, that was the that suicide moment or you know the puppet moment, and he uh-huh. he's like, "What are you doing?" And then he's like, "Oh, well, you know." And then he, you know, I liked how they all band together, like, yeah, you know, even Joey, like it's smart because he couldn't talk, but yet you know he was trying to get the he was almost like his lassie moment where he was going there, kind of like, "Hey, there's danger," and the nurse was like, "What?" <laughs> so then he grabbed like the food tray and started banging on all the doors yeah, yeah. to make all the kids kind of wake yeah, up and come scene. out. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I. I, you know, I just think the writing is really good. I, I like the lines. You know, Freddie, it definitely is the introduction to Freddie humor, <clears throat> but they're mm-hmm. not always done as a joke. Like, you could take them as a joke, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. um, it's also horrific, too. Like, it's definitely, it's still there. Like, when he's saying, what a rush, while yeah, he's yeah. killing this girl, you know, yeah, he has that look on his face like, you know, it's, I, I don't know orgasmic i guess for lack of a better term <laughs> right, a but bit, yeah but she looks hor- horrified you know like her face she's just yeah you know because obviously she knows she's dying but um I, you know i just I, other than the will death you know that's the one that kind of is i almost feel like they were like you know what we spent a lot of money on this chair just get just go go, <laughs> go to the halloween store real quick and get a you know count dracula cape that's all we're gonna do with <laughs> yeah. him yeah you know what I mean? Because it's such a, like a wasted scene. Like I felt like they could have. And I, th- you yeah. know what? I think I remember reading that it, they did have a little more, um, something more elaborate planned out. But I think actually, I think it's on the DVDs. The it's on one of the the making of featurettes. I think they talk about. It. It's been a while since I've watched that, but I do. I remember somewhere getting that information that they had a little more planned. But you know, the budget. Well, it's interesting too. Uh, just concerning the, I guess the the lore if you want to call it that all all of their efforts as dream warriors were futile because he he, and they never really hurt him he was just kind of you know i guess slightly stunned by some of their actions but in the end it had to be the the whole holy water right it's another thing what was he part vampire they had to get a holy water and a crucifix and bury him (laughs) you know it was interesting how they had that gothic kind of religion stuff tied into yeah, how they had it, to kill I mean him. you're right in reality they didn't do anything like all they were is just distractions right but honestly Except, had they all gone to the cemetery together in real life they probably probably would have ended better yeah, right <laughs> you know what I mean but I guess 
him getting stabbed by his own hand in the dream. I don't know yeah. if that was significant or not, or just another distraction, while the guy was throwing the holy water and burying him in the. Well, that was her. Way, when she did that, that was her way of stopping him from killing Kristen. So yeah, she just yeah. stuck her stuck his hand in, and it was it was still like. Eh, I mean, I don't think it would have mattered as far as the dream goes. Like, it, had they not been, um, you know, burying him and... Uh, well, it's just another one of those things, like I mentioned before, where it's like the perfect final fight. Yeah. In the end, his own claw was what, you know, in the dream world at least. Right, in the dream world. Well, Along it, with, you well, know... Well, I things. like even when he's throwing the uh, the holy water on him as it's splashing, yeah, it's, so cool it's looking, ripping yeah. through his body in the dream world. It like It's great, like little yeah. dots or whatever, you know, like what, what, the droplets of water. It was great. It, it was all just... It, it was such a great ending, and it all came, again, with what this movie was, it, it really was the perfect ending. They really thought about it a lot, I think. It yeah. put a lot of thought into how they were going to finalize this this story and this character and I thought it was it was fun and, and great and I wish they probably you know just should have ended it there <laughs> well I agree and disagree at the same time I agree the fact that it would have been better if there was just a one and a three and there was no two and there was nothing else after like if those two movies were like the the main movie and the sequel mm -hmm. uh, but I could say I got I get a little bit out of all of them to some degree I mean except for like I don't know part six I, I could never watch and I'd be fine um, and <laughs> even the new nightmare is like, eh, it's like whatever. Well, but, that's kind of the same way we feel about, you know, I'm going to talk about Star Wars again, but the original yeah. trilogy, it should have yeah. ended there, but I still want more Star Wars, you know? Yes. So. <laughs> yeah, and, and you can yeah. watch those movies, and even the ones you don't like, you can still get something from them. Sure. sure. You know what I mean? Because ultimately, for me, I just look at it, it's like, well, it is more Freddy, and there are cool death scenes, and there is some... They do continue to try to build on build on his mythology as mm -hmm. the as they go on. Um, I just think that <clears throat> five was kind of like all right. After that, part six was just horrible. It was just really bad, very convoluted. And part seven was kind of like a like a meta reboot, kind of like it was supposed to be mm -hmm. done outside of it. Like these were the real actors. Um, interesting enough, though. Part 7 was basically the precursor to Scream because I really think Wes Craven took the ideas from Part 7 and said, you know what, I really like this meta concept. Let me work on that a little bit. And that's kind of what... I'm not familiar with that term meta. What, what well, meta is but... like... Um, <clears throat> like there's some awareness within the movie. You know, like uh, okay, they're okay. they're going deeper or whatever. Like they they're self aware or uh, there there's a better definition than how I'm explaining it. But um, I, I think I get you now. Yeah. Okay. You know, because like all right, like in Scream, for instance, um, the the killers are are terrifying people, but they're also using classic horror tropes, mm -hmm. and they know okay. they're doing that. They're doing it intentionally, and they're making references to Halloween and other and, and Nightmare on Elm Street, and they're making references to other movies um, intentionally. And I even see. even the characters themselves have seen horror movies, so that meta aspect. Whereas in Part Seven, okay, I mean, well, little, I'm I'm looking up meta. Go ahead. I'm going to read the definition. Go I'll, ahead. I'll read be creative it. work. 
It says referring to itself or to the conventions of its genre, self-referential. Right. So yeah, just like like you described. Kind yeah. of like I described it. Okay. Your definition is better than you what I was it. doing, but that, I understood what it meant. I just didn't have the words. I have some words, just <laughs> not the words that were needed. But anyway, so in part seven, it was kind of the same thing where these actors, they're the okay. actors. It's it's not Nancy. It's the character. It's the actress who plays Nancy and her father, John Saxon. It's not the character. It's the it's the real actor and even Wes Craven's in it. And that's cool. And Freddie is in it as well, but it's not Freddie. It's like some, I don't know it. I think the idea was okay. I would have preferred them just had taken a little more time off and just either making a true Freddy sequel or just... Is this the new, the new Nightmare? Is that what you're talking yes, about? Yes, it's called Wes okay, Craven's okay. New Nightmare. I see. And as far as the originals, that is... The real ending is part six. Part seven is kind of its own thing. I don't know yeah. where they planned on going after that. If it was successful, I really don't know what they would have done. Would they would have continued? I don't know. Um, of course, the last Robert England Nightmare on Elm Street is Freddy versus Jason, which I do like it. I think there's I think there's enough in it that I like that I dislike. It needs to be a little shorter. They should have edited it a little better. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the characters you just don't care about. I, I think most yeah. of the characters you don't care about, frankly. But you know the the, the ones you do care about, Je- Freddy and Jason, when they're on the scene, when they're in the scenes, anyways. Um, it matters and it counts and you like it and i think their scenes are good i just think all the other stuff just feels like garbage filler yeah i've seen um i think most of that and i did have some fun watching it if i remember right it's been a while but i remember not thinking it was terrible it's kind of fun no it's good enough and uh yeah i'm just saying like this you don't need a director's cut you don't need to add any time to it it is <laughs> right. you know if anything it needed a, a a shorter theatrical cut i think it would have been a better movie if they'd have tightened it up yeah. a little bit um ultimately though i i liked it because it was more robert england he was still doing good as freddie i mean he still looked great um i guess since we're just talking about stuff like that he even made a cameo on uh this sh- i don't watch it but there's a show called the goldbergs that's really big I've on like that, yeah. nostalgia 80s nostalgia uh-huh. and stuff like that and I guess they must have had a Nightmare on Elm Street episode. Oh, okay. And he was in it. He looked a little chunky, though, which is weird because when I see him on Instagram, he doesn't look. So I, I don't know. <laughs> it was, I, I don't know what was going on, but he looked a little little puffy in that. But Well, anyways, that's, that, that's my must. If you want to see a slasher movie from this kind of genre, like it's, it's very specific in the horror genre, um, the slasher you're gonna have fun with this one it's got a great soundtrack you know i never heard of Dawkins before that but you know this was their their big moment um their dream warrior song you know it's pure 80s hair metal you know and it, and it sounds like it The movie's got a great soundtrack, a really good cast. I mean, they're a young cast, but all the actors seem to bring it, except for the few that we talked about. And um, I feel like the storyline's got a very good arc to it. And had they ended there, it would have been a perfect ending to the series. Yeah, I agree. I had a lot of fun watching it. Um, I'm not a big slasher fan. I, I prefer sci-fi horror. Mm-hmm. Or, because I, but th- because the elm street series specifically includes supernatural elements and a 
a monster essentially. Sure. I, it kind of blends that a little, a bit, little for bit. So I kind of it does. Yeah, it's not just a guy with a with a machete chopping heads off. Um, I never like Scream. I'm not a big fan of the Friday the Thirteenth series. Yeah. Um, when I was a kid, one, I couldn't even watch Friday the Thirteenth. That scared yeah. me. Yeah. Um, I'd say that this this series, specifically this movie, definitely is one that I enjoyed a lot. And I, for a slasher film, I'll say I give it a big thumbs up. All right. Well. Yeah. I say give it a shot, and you could skip everything and just watch this, and it stand alone enough where you'd be fine. Yep. And it's definitely got all the eighties oh, yeah. feels in there. It's really fun to watch for that alone. All the just the stuff they're using and the stuff in the background. It's just it's just always fun to revisit that <laughs> that era of, of filmmaking. You're right. Yeah, great good good pick. I really enjoyed watching it and Bobby liked it. And uh yeah, it's something I probably well, will well, watch again. Well Bobby's cool, man. I knew Bobby was gonna dig it. He loves horror. He yeah. loves horror movies. So well, he's, me and he... I could give him some other recommendations he might <laughs> like, but Bobby's a cool dude, man. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well that I guess that wraps it up nicely. And that is our quintessential eighties horror picks. Um, have we decided what we're doing for our next next month's uh, genre? Uh I don't know if we're... I, I don't know. We were talking about... I'm not sure if we're going to do a movie next month. You'll you'll know when you listen. Right. So, well, thanks for listening this time. And we had a lot of fun with this record. And hopefully you have a lot of fun listening. And we will see you next time. Take care. Bye.